In December of 1916, in Coon Rapids in Carroll County, Iowa, James Titus was killed by a train. This guy, James Titus, is my great-great-grandfather. I'd always been fascinated by this story that mom told me about this guy getting sucked under a train. And it's like, what a catastrophically weird way to die. If you enjoy old-timey news articles with all their fancy talk, Dr. Jewell, in the meantime, had been called out, but found that life had fled before he arrived. Wow. Fancy talk. Have you ever wondered what an inquest of a body is? So three fucking lay people from Carroll County, Iowa, poked around on his dead body. How about deaths foretold? Do you like that? This fortune teller picked him out of the crowd and said that he was going to die. Today, on Dead to Me, I talk about my dead great-great-grandfather. So I'm going to read you a couple of articles from the time of his death. The first one is announcing the inquest and laying a framework for what apparently happened. There's very flowery language, very early 1900s newspaperish. Then there's the actual inquest. While the inquest didn't find that the Milwaukee Railroad was responsible for his death, they did find that they were responsible for burial fees. And so the last article is, seems to draw a line under the entire case of James Titus. And then, of course, there's the family lore about soothsayers and traveling uh, fortune teller ships. So enjoy. James Titus killed by train on Sunday. Fast train number 12 eastbound at high speed causes accident. Mr. Titus sucked into train. By its great speed, it is generally believed by public. So Apparently, that's the title. James Titus killed by train Sunday. Fast train number 12 eastbound at high speed causes accident. Mr. Titus sucked into train by its great speed and generally believed by the public. That is a very long subhead. But anyway, moving on. A shocking accident occurred Sunday about noon by which James Titus lost his life. He was crossing the railroad track at Fifth Avenue crossing at the Keister I swear to God, it's Keister, lumber office, when a fast train number 12, which was late, approached at great speed. The engineer began whistling and ringing the bell about a block or so before the train reached the place of the accident. Not only Mr. Titus was on the crossing, but also a young man by the name of Christensen driving a horse and buggy. The horse was acting badly, and it seemed to those who saw the latter the train would surely strike him, but fortunately the boy escaped with his vehicle unhurt. The rearing horse may or may not have attracted the attention of Mr. Titus, but probably did, as it was only a few feet from him. While a number of men were within 200 to 300 feet of the accident at the time it occurred, no one saw the train strike Mr. Titus. A number of men, however, saw the train go through remarking at the time about its terrible speed, and some of them saw Mr. Titus on the crossing just previous. 
When the train had passed, the form of Mr. Titus was seen lying on the track, and in a moment, large number had gathered by the dying man. He had been struck on the left side, his head being considerably crushed, and his left arm and leg being more or less injured. While, of course, unconscious, he lived about ten minutes. The trainman, seeing the accident, stopped the train as soon as possible and backed it to the station. While it was not brought about in the testimony, it is thought that Mr. Titus had cleared the track and was far enough away from the locomotive not to have been struck by it, but for the high speed of the train, causing such a strong suction as to draw Mr. Titus up into the train and against it. Dr. Kessler impaneled a jury on Monday, who, after hearing the testimony of a number of witnesses who agreed with the main, the jury returned the verdict that Mr. Titus met his death by being struck by the train in question while running at a high speed through incorporated limits of Coon Rapids, Iowa. The body was conveyed to the groom undertaking rooms. Dr. Jewell, in the meantime, had been called out, but found that life had fled before he arrived. The funeral was held at the Christian Church Tuesday afternoon in the presence of a large number of neighbors and relatives. It is thought that he was on his way to see his old-time friend Dan Smith when his life went out. James Titus was unusually sociable, enjoyed his friends, and they him. He was highly regarded, and his tragic death is regretted by all. James Titus was born in Morgan County, Illinois, April 17, 1843. He was married to Miss Paulina Smith at Coon Rapids, Iowa. To this union, 11 children were born, two of them dying in infancy. All the living children attended the funeral and are Mrs. William Heater, Mrs. James Grinley, Mrs. J.W. Mull, Mrs. H.L. Tucker, Mrs. Guy Smith, and Ray, Ora, Charles, and Paul. Hmm. So, James Titus was my great, great grandfather. Is that right? So, my great grandmother was Mrs. James Greenlee, and James Titus was her father. So, the family lore is that while a great, great grandpa may have been on his way to see an old friend. He reportedly had been to see a performance of a fortune teller and there was an audience and um, he apparently sitting there stone deaf, by the way, um, or as my mom told me, my great grandma called him stone deaf. He was at this fortune teller's event and in my mind it is at an old bingo hall or some sort of dusty school auditorium or maybe even some sort of church basement situation or maybe it was outdoors I don't know um it was December and it was colder than shit in Iowa so it was probably inside anyway as the story goes he was at the fortune teller event which I imagine was a traveling show that people turned out to see in old-timey days. This is just family lore. So apparently this fortune teller picked him out of a crowd and said that he was going to die and that, lo and behold, on his way home, 
he was sucked under a train. So this is beautiful family lore, but <laughs> and and who knows? Maybe he was, but my maternal side of the family has such a beautiful, wonderful um, lore to it that some of it is questionable, and <laughs> but sort of wonderfully questionable in the way that family lore is, but. Anyway, so great-great-grandpa was sucked into a train. And the interesting thing, there's a couple of things that really caught my eye reading this. The coroner was responsible for calling an inquest. And so this is like one of those beautiful, weird things that people would come and testify who had seen the accident before um, before the public and talk about his death and what they saw. And then the coroner would take that information and make the determination, well, was this guy hit by the train? Was he sucked under the train? What exactly happened here? And it was important specifically in this case with my great-great-grandfather because there was a claim to be made against the train company. For going too fast. But that's that I'll get to in a second. But the actual language from the Iowa Code from the late 1800s that assigned duties to the coroner were fascinating. Inquests were held upon the dead bodies of such persons only are supposed to have died by unlawful means. So the only reason that an inquest was called was because they were trying to determine if there was a crime and who was the criminal, um, if not the railroad company. Oh, this is interesting. The Iowa Code actually provides a template for this warrant that the coroner would send out. You are hereby required to summon forthwith three lawful men of your county to appear before me at name of place at name of day and time and hour and say forthwith. <laughs> it actually says that. That's hilarious. It goes on. Then and there to hold an inquest upon the dead body of, insert dead body's name here, there lying by what means he died. Witness my hand this blank day of blank AD 18 blank blank. It provides an outline for what the, the oath that a juror must take. And it says verbatim, If any juror fails to appear, the coroner shall cause the proper number to be summoned or returned from the bystanders immediately and proceed to impanel them and administer the following oath. Before I get to this oath, I think it's interesting to point out that you could apparently just blow off going to your day in coroner court because then the coroner would just grab people standing in the room um, and put them to work. So that's interesting. Hmm. I guess warrants weren't warranty. Okay. You solemnly swear or affirm that you will diligently inquire and true presentment make when how and by what means the person whose body lies here dead came to you his death, according to your knowledge and the evidence given you, so help you God. So, you know, 
does this mean then that my great great grandfather was actually laid out in front of bystanders? Oh, okay, here we go. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. The jurors, having inspected the body, so three fucking lay people from Carroll County, Iowa, poked around on his dead body, came to the decision that he was struck by the train, which is, you know, again, weird. But anyway, so, the, but I just find, I find coroner's inquests fascinating. And like this sort of gallery seating for uh, entertainment starved 18, late 1800s Midwestern audience. Who attended that inquest? Like did anybody from my mom's family attend? Did my great grandma attend? Did, was it just the gentleman folk? Um, how do they present the body if they're actually laying there? Weird, but kind of awesome at the same time. Um, I mean, death just happened straight out in front of everything and was public. So it's fascinating. I think it's, it could be considered ghoulish, but you know, people, trials are open and, and so people go in and, and fill a gallery for any particular trials going on. People love true crime and serial killers. I mean, God knows I do. Um, so why wouldn't people, why is it different if people were actually attending the, um, the actual inquest itself? What would be the difference? Maybe if death were more in the literal open, like it was in the late 1800s, like when my great-great-grandfather died, maybe we wouldn't be so squeamish about it. Or maybe we wouldn't think that it's something that, even though we know it's going to be coming for us all, that it won't come as so much of a shock when it does. That it's not just something that happens to other people, that it's something that happens to us and to our families. So I'm all for public inquests. Um, anyway, that said, what happened after great-great-grandpa died is that they came to the verdict that Mr. Titus met his death by being struck by a train in question while the train was running at a high speed through the incorporated limits of Coon Rapids. And so this is the follow-up article about that hearing as to damages. The headline is James Titus damages case settled and then the insufferably long old-timey subhead. Probably the best settlement that could have been made, but burial expenses is all such cases could be settled by some state tribunal. So, I mean, basically that subhead is like the entire story. Anyway, the article as it's written. Naturally, there is still interest in the case of James Titus killed recently by the fast train. The question of damages has been a matter of general discussion. We understand that the matter has been settled by the Milwaukee paying the burial expenses and that this set it was satisfactory to the widow and most of the near relatives. There are those who think that the widow was entitled to more than this, $1,000 or more at least, for the reason that, but for the high speed of the train, Mr. Titus would not have lost his life 
than Milwaukee, therefore, at least sharing in responsibility. But on account of the extreme age of Mr. Titus and his earning capacity gone, the case had been taken to the courts, the damages awarded, if any, would have been light, and which would have been consumed or eaten up by attorney's fees and other such expenses. So that in the end, the settlement was probably under all the circumstances as good as could have been made. That was an entire, that was a sentence that was really long. Anyway, moving on. But as a matter of safety to life, since the crossing in question is more or less a dangerous one, and since school children, among others, have to cross and recross, and since trains run at high speeds, both express and freights, there should be more protection that the town has against accidents. In such cases, it would seem as though the Railroad Commission ought to be empowered without expense to the claimants to look into the merits of cases and award damages. Otherwise, claimants, under ordinary circumstances, with limited means, have no chance with corporations who have attorneys employed by the year and who can defend before a jury with but little more expense than though there was no suit at law. I think they mean it all. But essentially, it was arguing for the regular guy to have some sort of recourse without having to go broke when a corporation may be at fault. So that's the story of my great-grandfather. And I think that we can all agree on one thing is that the school children of Coon Rapids, Iowa, owe him a debt of gratitude. Because based on that last story, it was his death that allowed them to have a safe railroad crossing. You're welcome. So there's plenty of stories that will come out of this very ripe maternal line of mine, but this is just one. And it was put together by my Aunt Shirley, who was a spark plug and just an absolute thrilled to be around. She died a few years back, but her husband, Uncle Harold, is still kicking. Side note, Aunt Shirley was a Rosie the Riveter um, during the Second World War, and Uncle Harold is a World War II veteran. So that's it. Um, I'm working on a few sign-offs, and I wanted to try one out here. Let me give it a whirl. Thanks for listening to Dead to Me, and remember, you can't spell funeral without F-U-N. I don't know. We'll try it.